Good morning. Anybody lose half a paper clip? Because I got one of those right there. Uh, I'm Adam, and, and like we said in the video, today we're in the next step in the story of Elijah. And if you were here last week, there wasn't a lot of forward motion. There was really one thing that happened that showed us that Elijah had cultivated this deep-rooted trust in God, and he did an incredible and implausible thing. Um, and this week, we're going to see him take sort of a giant leap, and there are a lot of details in the story, and so as we head into the story part, you're going to have to really stick with me because it can get confusing because we're going to use names that, uh, well, we don't really use all that often anymore, and so um, just dive in with me and lean in with me because though this is a very famous passage from Scripture, it is convicting every time when you lean in on what God's doing here. Essentially, we are at the story where Elijah masters or begins the idea of trash talking. Is anybody in here a trash talker in competitions? I asked this, can we be honest too? Because I asked this last hour and everybody was like, no, not me. I am so pleasant when I play competitions. Like, is anybody, like seriously, like a king of trash talk, thank you. Or queen, sorry. Anyway, uh, I don't like to talk trash when I play athletic competitions. I like to be uh, kind of quiet and I let my physical stature create unbelievably <laughs> low expectations so that, so that I can be sneaky good, you know? Not actually good, sneaky good. I just need to be better than you think I'm gonna be, which I sometimes accomplish. But there was one day in particular that I got myself into a mess because I was running Crave, which is our Wednesday night middle school program. It's incredible. There's all kinds of middle schoolers here. We play games, learn about scripture. Um, but before it starts, the doors open at six, and before it starts, middle schoolers come and we just play games typically. Um, there's a basketball hoop out back. We'll throw can jam around in cornhole, um, ride these little ripsticks. Anyways, uh, there were these boys who were competing with each other for what is essentially a half-court shot. They stood by the fence to the cemetery, if you're familiar with our property. They were standing by the fence of the cemetery, and they were trying to make the basketball into the basketball hoop, which is a long shot. And for some reason on this day, I was feeling pretty confident. And so I said, oh, you can't even make that easy shot, you know. But then I kept going. <laughs> I was like, I could make that first try, no problem. You can't, what are you doing? Like, I could make that, no problem. And on and on and on until eventually, right before we had to go in, they were like, okay, fine, let's do that. You know, I wasn't being mean. I was just, it was painful. It sounds m more mean than it was. Anyway, they were like, okay, you try. And so they passed me the ball, and then I got the ball. And I was like, uh-oh, I'm going to have to do something now, <laughs> you know. And so as I'm walking to the, the place where they had been shooting from, I thought, well, you know, I've already committed this much. I can't backtrack and be like, well, you know, there's wind and it's the, it's the longitude and latitude. It's a thing. Don't even worry about it. So I just, I leaned in completely and I was like, I'm going to make this first, first try. No problem. I walked up and I, sh I took my shot. And as it left my hand, I thought, oh, that felt good. Like, this is going to be close, <laughs> which is good because I've been talking a lot of trash. I'm at least going to hit rim. I feel really good about this. And then as I watched, on the inside, I was going, <gasps> as the ball just went, and it went directly in. I mean, it didn't touch rim. It went in. And so I just went, all right, let's go inside. 
But on the inside, I was like, yes, I'm the best basketball player ever. Steph Curry's got nothing on me. That was unbelievable. But I'm just like, all right, guys, come on. <laughs> you know, like, you can't. Anyways, it was a highlight of my life. I still remember it very, very vividly. <laughs> and I've tried when I was by myself to recreate that shot. It was a miracle. It was an actual miracle on our campus that the ball went in uh, that day. But we are at this moment in the story of Elijah, where he is going to talk some trash and he's going to have to shoot his shot in front of not just a king, but an entire nation and an opposing set of 450 prophets. And he is one man who has cultivated a deep trust in God over months, years of a journey walking with God specifically. And so as we start today, will you pray with me? Uh, God, we are thankful to be in this place today. We are thankful that you lead us and that you do something in us so that you can do something through us. And God, we pray that we would have the courage to live into what you want to do through our lives. God, we pray that as we read a familiar story from Scripture for some, that it would shed new light on how we should live and breathe and move in your kingdom. God, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, as a summary... I'm going to walk back through over the past uh, three weeks, in case you haven't been here, this is the fourth week of the series of Elijah. And so really quickly, Elijah comes onto the scene because he is put in front of a king to declare something. He says, as the Lord is God, as sure as he lives and breathes, there will be no rain in this kingdom. And today we're thinking, that would be nice if there was no rain today because I got soaked on the way in here. But Elijah says to this king, there is going to be no rain until the Lord allows it. And he stands, he boldly declares this in front of a king, and then he's cut off, and he's sent into a ravine. And we talked about over the past two weeks how Elijah was being prepared, and uh, he was manifesting this trust in God as he walked through the Kareth ravine. Kareth meaning literally cut off. So he's standing in front of an audience of the king, and then he is by himself in this valley. And we find ourselves in those valleys too, but what are we going to do when we're in those valleys to cultivate a deeper trust? And God, Elijah relied on God to bring him just enough food for every morning and just enough food for every night. And he relied on this brook to have water to drink, but as there was no rain, the water, the brook dried up and he had to go somewhere else. And so he relied on the word of the, God, of the Lord to lead him to a widow's house where he had to ask, will you please give me some food? And this widow had a decision to make too. Am I going to trust what this guy says, who says he's a man of God? Am I going to trust him? Am I going to give up my short supply of food to feed him? And Elijah says, trust me. If you give me the food, you will not run out. And miraculously, this whole family had enough food. He had limited flour and oil and water. And yet because God wanted it and they trusted him, there was enough bread to go around for many nights. And then last week we heard as Elijah faced with an impossible moment where this widow's son was dying or dead, has to figure out where is he going to go. And we see that because of his journey through the Kareth Ravine and because of his journey up to the widow where she gave him enough bread, he trusted that he could take this boy up to his room and ask God, bring life back into this boy. And it happened. And this boy came back to life. And so there were starting to be murmurings of this man, Elijah, and his deep trust of God. All the while, 
there's this entire other scene playing out that we haven't tapped into at all in these past few weeks. We've focused in on Elijah and what God was doing with Elijah. Meanwhile, in the, in the country, there is a terrible ruler who goes by the name Ahab, and he's worse than Omri, his father, who was worse than his father, who was worse than, you get the idea, successive bad leadership in this country, and they're in a drought, and they're in a famine because there's a food shortage. And so we come to a place where these two scenes that are playing out come to a head. You see, what had been happening in the kingdom is that Ahab, one of his worst decisions was to marry Jezebel. Jezebel worshipped Baal, and he, she convinced Ahab to make the nation of Israel also worship Baal. Baal was a fertility god. Not that kind of fertility god, but the kind of fertility god that would help crops grow. And because there was this drought, she said, we need to lean in, all in on Baal. And she has the prophets of God murdered. She has them systematically taken out of the country because this country should lean more in on Baal and we should trust completely that our food source will come from him. He will end this drought. But there's this man named Obadiah. He's one of the king's men. But as Jezebel gives these orders to have these prophets murdered brutally, he hides a hundred of the prophets of the Lord. He gives them food and water and shelter. And it it's see, and God sees that this man is going to be faithful. And so, after many nights with, of Elijah with the widow, God sends him out. And the first person that he comes across is this faithful man, Obadiah. And Obadiah is going to arrange the meetup, the showdown. Elijah essentially says, and this is the paraphrased version, obviously, the Adam Leopard version, but it's true to what happens here, is that um, Elijah says to Obadiah, you need to introduce me to the king. And he creates in Obadiah his first ever hype man. Obadiah is going to be the one who's like, hey, this is the guy. You know, he's going to go up to the king and, and be that person. But Elijah has already written his introduction have you ever done this to someone? So Elijah says to Obadiah, you need to go up to the king and say this exactly. Behold, Elijah is here. That would be strange, right? If I like walked up to you and said, hey, can you go, before I come out, you go up on stage and you say, behold, Adam is here. And then I come out, it's going to be epic, really cool. They got some songs playing, it's going to be great. But that's what Elijah does to Obadiah. And Obadiah's like, uh, no thank you, sir. I will be killed if I introduce you to Ahab because Ahab does not like the prophets of the Lord. Do you remember that whole murder thing? I don't know if you heard about that, but I don't want any part of this. And again, Elijah has to lean in on and trust that God is good. And he says, surely, surely the Lord will make himself known today. And so begins this confident trash talk that something big is going to happen in this moment. He says, don't worry about it. You go and you do what I said because God is faithful and he will do something amazing. And so Obadiah goes, and he says, behold, Elijah is here. <laughs> you know, like he probably hides out of the way. But Elijah comes up, and Ahab says to him, Elijah, why are you being such a troublemaker? 
which is an unbelievable thing for a king who has ordered the systematic murder of prophets of God to say to someone else, right? Like pot calling a kettle black. You're being such a pain right now. You just murdered a bunch of people, so maybe cool it on the name calling. And so Elijah says, you're the one causing trouble. And in that moment, it's the moment when like the middle child talks back to the parents. The other siblings are like, oh, nope. I don't like that, (laughs) like something's going to happen. But Elijah just leans in completely because he's talking back to the king and he's got some confidence. You are the one causing trouble. You abandoned the one true God. So get all your false God prophets in the whole country and you meet me on top of Mount Carmel. He storms out. I don't know if he storms out, but that's how I picture it. That would be really cool. You meet me on top of Mount Carmel and walks away. He's setting up something. And so they do. The whole nation and all the prophets of Baal go to the top of Mount Carmel. And there they want to see what's going to happen because there has been some trash talk happening. And so once they're up there, Elijah starts. And we see the first thing that we need to draw out of this story, which is we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. Just like they had a choice to make. And we're going to pick up... Uh, in scripture in 1 Kings 18, 21. Because Elijah calls them out. And now he's not talking to the king. Now he's talking to the entire nation. And there's these 450 prophets standing beside him and the king standing with him. But he's talking to the, con- to the nation and he says, how long will you go limping between two different options? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal then follow him. And the people didn't answer a word. Elijah's saying, pick a side of the room. Where do you want to be at the end of today? Do you want to be over here with me and the people who follow God? Or do you want to be over here with the people who worship Baal? I'm not casting stones. I'm just saying like we're creating, you know. So where do you want to be? Pick a side of the room. Would you rather be with God or would you rather be with Baal? And they don't say anything. They don't plant their flag in anything. And it's easy for us to be like, oh, that was so dumb. Pick God, (laughs) the same God who delivered you out of slavery just a few generations earlier. Do you remember when the Red Sea parted and you walked through on dry ground? Pick God. You are being not smart, to put it kindly. Do you remember that when he walked in the 10 plagues? All that, that same God is saying, pick me again because I am faithful still. And so pick me. And they're like, mm, I don't know. It hasn't rained for three years, though. And Baal says fertility. So let's see, you know. And we do this sort of same thing, but not on that scale. It's just like we shift our trust. And we don't trust God completely. We say like, yes, God will provide for me, but I'm going to pay way more attention to my job. Yes, God will provide for me, but I'm going to pay way more attention to putting my faith in this thing or that thing. And Elijah's saying, you have a choice to make. It is A or B. I don't like making choices. I like best A or B choices, but even those stress me out. 
when I go into Chipotle and they're like, would you like white or brown rice? I'm like, I don't know. Why are you putting this pressure on me right now? You make a, a thing for me. I don't know. Emily and I just got back from a quick trip to uh, Charleston for our anniversary. I had saved up some money and I said, like, hey, we're going to go on a trip. Just the two of us. It's going to be awesome. But I haven't decided where yet. We're going to get to choose that together. And I, like, I don't like white rice, brown rice. I don't know. That stresses me out. I don't know why I thought, like, anywhere within this region and this budget, like, we can figure that out. No problem. It was a problem, okay? Like, it was stressful. I don't know if the Internet has made traveling easier or more difficult because you get into this like trap of cons of like customer reviews and you're like yeah maybe we shouldn't go to this because there was like a man-sized roach that ate one person <laughs> that's probably true let's not go there you know and so you read all these thousands of reviews and you're like i don't know i don't know if we should go there and so we got into this and so for a couple nights in a row we were up until after 2 a.m trying to decide and emily said to me i don't know if i want to do this anymore i'm going to sleep which at that point i was like that's reasonable you know i'm sorry i thought this was going to be cool it's stressing us out but eventually we decided and we had a great time but choices are hard and elijah's saying you don't have a difficult choice to make, nation of Israel. Choose this God who does not work or choose this God who has in your history and in your nation proven himself time and time again out of slavery, promised land. You will be a great nation. And now we've shifted and we said, well, maybe Baal will bring us rain. What? What are we talking about? Make your choice. Because when it comes down to it, False gods come up empty. And so Elijah says, we're going to put this thing to the test. We've arranged this showdown for the past three years when I said there'd be no rain, and then there was no rain, and now here we are, the whole nation on top of this mountain, and God is about to do something unbelievable, and he is feeling very, very confident, and he knows this truth, that false gods come up empty. And so Elijah sets up a very practical test. He's like, okay, you have 450 prophets. You had not build yourself an altar. We'll build another altar over here. I'll represent God. You represent Baal. And whoever's God is true is going to bring fire from heaven. I would have loved to have been there. Like, I want to see Michael Phelps race that shark, you know? And that's nowhere near as cool as this. Like, I would have wanted to watch what was going to happen. All right, let's see. Fire from heaven. Sweet day, you know? Like, they didn't have Netflix. This was going to be cool. And so he's like, build your altar. I'll build mine. And so they construct their altar, and then they start to, to go. And in 1 Kings 18, 26, it says, And they took the bowl that was given them, and they prepared it. And they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. There was no voice, and no one answered. Those are powerfully empty words. Imagine the spectacle that the prophets are, are beginning to put on. They're begging God to show up, and it's just nothing you ever asked a question and just gotten ignored? It is awkward at best. It's embarrassing and hurtful at worst. It's frustrating. And there's just nothing happening. These prophets are saying, oh, turn off this TV now. 
no, okay, let's try this other thing. And so they start beating themselves and they start calling out and they start making fools of themselves. They say, turn off the TV. Who grabbed the remote? You know, like it's just nothing and it's awkward and this tension's growing and Elijah capitalizes because they did that from morning until noon. And in verse 27, scripture says that Elijah gave them and started making fun of them. He said, at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud for he is God. Either he's musing or he's relieving himself or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. To put that another way, Elijah is saying, maybe your God's watching TV or pooping, or maybe he went for a walk. Maybe your little God just needed a little nappy poo, you know? <laughs> you just need to lay down. He's tired. It's noon. He had his lunch, and he's all full now. But the story continues. And they cried aloud, and they cut themselves. After their custom with swords and lances, until blood gushed upon them, as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Those are some of the most powerful words in scripture and such a powerful reminder for us when we put our faith in false gods. There was no voice. No one answered and no one paid attention. You probably haven't been standing in front of a nation with a still not burn up altar right next to you when your false God came up empty or when something you put your faith in comes up empty, but we've all been there and it's a tragic place to be. A relationship that you thought would last a lifetime ends suddenly. And now you don't have an identity because you are his girlfriend or his wife or you were her boyfriend or her husband and now you're just you. You don't know how to be just you because for so long you were something together. Or you were an athlete who got sidelined or taken off the field by injury and now you're just you. Like, I don't know if me is enough. Or that job that you thought was going to set you up for life, yeah, you just became one of their cutbacks. So you don't know where your provision is going to come from. But you are not just a boyfriend or husband, or wife, or mother, or athlete, or employee. You are a God-designed child of the king of the universe. And if we rest in that first, nothing can sideline our faith. When we put our faith in the temporary or the immediate, our faith can be suddenly destroyed. When we put our faith in who we actually are, son or daughter to the king of the universe, our faith has staying power because nothing Nothing can knock you off of that. Nothing can rewrite that. You are that if you lean in on that because Jesus made that true for eternity when we lean in on and trust him. And so every day, every day we have to lean in on and make the same decision that Elijah did every day. That I'm gonna trust the word of the Lord to lead me through even this valley. I'm gonna trust the Lord to provide for me even as this brook dries up. And as Eliza trusted the word, God came through time and time again. But it was after the brook dried up. And it was after some humbling experiences. And it was when he asked for help. And so every day, we spend time in scripture. Not to get smarter about scripture, 
but to build a foundation of identity and whose we are and what we are because the world will rip away from us these other false gods that come up empty. But our God, our God is powerful and faithful. And there's been mocking in this showdown and there's been trash talk in this showdown and now Elijah has to shoot his shot. He's passed the ball and he's walking up to shoot his shot. And I don't know what he was thinking, but it probably wasn't anything like what I was thinking when I shot that silly shot at the back of the church. He was probably thinking, now the world will see. Now this nation will see. And so he prays this prayer. It starts in verse 36. And Elijah says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I've done all these things at your word. I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that these people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you've turned their hearts back. Praise this prayer. But if you're not familiar with the story, it's not just that there were equal altars, right? There was something that I left out because Elijah says, for his altar, bring some water over. And the attentive among us will be like, oh, water, that's gotta be a commodity, precious to them. He says, bring water over and put it on my altar because there's about to be fire from heaven and I don't want you to think that I'm up to any tricks. Bring the water. Again, and if you're bringing that second bucket of water over, you gotta be like, I don't know if I should do this, you know? But they've dumped the water on because this is, this is it. If there's no more rain, this is like the last bit of the water that you have. It's like being stuck on the side of the highway, running out of gas and saying, oh, leave the air conditioning on because we want some air conditioning. Like, we're running out. But then he says for a third time, again, do it again because I want to leave no doubt in anyone's mind how powerful and faithful God is. And so there is water so much that the trench that he's dug around it is full of water. And then he prays that simple prayer. God, turn their hearts back. Capture their hearts again. He doesn't say scold them. He doesn't say punish them. He says grab their hearts again and bring this nation back to you. And spoiler alert, there was fire from heaven. In verse 38, it says, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Those who wouldn't say anything just hours earlier declared twice that the Lord is God after the fire fell from heaven. And you're like, yup, I would too. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> if I was out in my backyard and I was like, God, start this campfire for me. And it just went, Poof. like, yeah, you know? <laughs> or if you could do evangelism that way, you'd be like, I would go up to every neighbor and knock on the door and say, hey, do you know the life-giving power of Jesus? Do you know who he is and the life that he has for you? He's just your son or daughter. Oh, no, you don't? Cool, let me show you this. I've, I've structured this uh, altar over here and I poured some water on it. Check this out. Fire! Poof. 
yes, all right, you want to go do this? Like, that would make it so easy. And we think, why? Of course. Of course the people fell on their face because they saw God at work. But we don't need fire from heaven because we have changed lives. You see, our changed lives are evidence of God's powerful hand at work. Do not discount who you are and the change that Jesus has made in your life. Do not discount the fact that you can say, I am a beloved child of God because I put my faith in the life that Jesus offered me. We believe, we believe that people are separated by God, are separated from God by sin, and that Jesus came to earth to make a way for that separation to be mended and to give us a chance at life. We believe that we were once dead people in sin who are now alive and walking again in Christ and have the path for full life. We are walking miracles. Don't discredit the miracle of your change just because it is common or just because it happens over and over again. God wants to do it again in your friend's life or in maybe one of your lives that's sitting here today still wondering, is Jesus good? He wants to change us. I was the same person as the people in Israel who sat in the back corner and I didn't want to plant my flag in anything. And when I was in class, I was really shy because I was so self-centered that I was afraid if I said anything, I would be seen as dumb. And so in a situation where I didn't know everybody, I just collapsed in on myself and I just sat in the back. Amongst family and friends, I'd be fine. But when I was with people I didn't know, like I just didn't want to, I'm fine. But Jesus... But Jesus took a kid who was afraid to give a presentation in class to speak on stages. <laughs> and it still terrifies me. I still, don't, I still don't love getting out on stage and talking for any length of time. I'm still afraid of public speaking, but Jesus calls us out into the unknown and he calls us out to trust him more and more. This is the place where the brook runs dry and I have to rely just on the power of God. We are walking miracles who are made something other than ourselves just because Jesus is powerful. There's a middle school student who spent weeks this summer giving up his time when he could be at home playing video games or watching Netflix or you know watching videos on YouTube or whatever. And he showed up at 8.30 a.m. and he stayed till at least 4.30 p.m. just to help in any way possible. A middle schooler whose default setting is selfless service. That is a miracle. <laughs> and he has done unbelievable work for us just because he's allowing Jesus to transform his perspective. And he's like, you know what, I could sleep in all summer, but instead I want to show up and do something for the kingdom of God that matters in a significant way. Jesus transforms us. Sometimes against our will and sometimes in spite of ourselves. It was 13 months ago 
that Emily went into a radiation chamber to have a brain tumor treated 13 months ago. And in that, she could have, she would have had every right to say, look at me, pity me, this is miserable, because it is miserable. And we didn't like it, and she didn't like it. And she prayed, God, I don't know what you're doing to me, or I don't know what's happening, I don't like it, but I want your will to be done. And in 13 months, we've had people rally around us and support us, and she's doing incredibly well. But the miracle of it is that her eyes have been outward the whole time. She's been looking for other needs to meet. She's been looking for ways when she can speak scripture into painful situations for other people. And she would say, like, don't, don't put me on this pedestal. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't want that. I'm like, you're already on a pedestal in my world, so uh, I'm going to put you there anyway. But this is the faith that Jesus cultivates in us. It is not natural for someone to get past self-centeredness, but it is designed into us that our happiness is best when we're serving others. Did you know, just as an aside, that when you see an act of kindness, even when you see it, let alone participate in an act of kindness, there's a hormone release called oxytocin, which actually lowers your blood pressure and gives you a good feeling. God designed us to look for ways to serve others. We are made that way. And Jesus reorients our perspective in that direction. Serve others. If you want to live for your happiness, serve others. You are made that way. You cannot achieve real happiness with self-centered pursuits. It won't work. It will come up empty. So we lean in on and we trust the life that God has for us, our changed lives. Our changed lives are the evidence of God's powerful hand at work. And so go and lead with kindness. Go and lead with graciousness. Go and live selflessly. Because when you live selflessly, you will speak of Jesus without saying a word. When you lead with grace and kindness and empathy and love, you will speak of Jesus without ever saying a word. And then you get to tell people why. Because through this journey, the best stories that Emily and I have got to celebrate is when people say to her, how are you so happy, even in the midst of this, as you genuinely lost hearing in one of your ears, how are you still happy? And she gets to talk about who Jesus is in her life. Not in a preachy way, but in a real way. Because I have something more permanent than hearing that I stand on. And each day, multiple times a day, make the decision to trust and follow him. And so when we wake up, can we say, God, will you use me? And when we go to sleep, will we say, God, will you use me more tomorrow? And then when we wake up, will you say, God, will you use me today? And when you go to sleep, God, will you use me more tomorrow? Because we don't need to construct altars and send fire from heaven. We need to go really live the life that Jesus has called us to. That's why we know scripture. That's why we pray. Not just to build ourselves up, but to change the world and to show the world 
that what God has done in my life, he wants to do it again in your life. He is good and he is powerful and he is mighty. And so we need to leave from this place and go show the world that God is still who he's always been. Will you pray with me? God, we trust you completely and we lean in on who you are. And so God, move us inch by inch every day so that whenever big tests come, whenever moments come, we're ready to speak of you. And we are prepared to be you in any situation, to be your representative. God, we love you and we trust you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.